Good to be here, Oliver. Okay, so let's go to a crowdedness measure first, because you guys have some stock picks, and I want to kind of walk through your process here of how you guys screen out companies to find the best from the worst. But one of the charts that here looks pretty compelling to me is a measure of crowdedness that you guys have that is at extreme level. So what does it uh, measure exactly, and what does it tell us? Uh, so th this is something that it's it's kind of a it's not really exactly a timing tool like today you should do something or not do something but it's it's something that moves somewhat in a glacial for, uh, fashion that highlights just how crowded the market is. We often hear you know this trade's crowded, this trade's not crowded, and um, oftentimes you get kind of weak uh, versions of quantifying that. And so we basically looked at the number of institutional owners of all the stocks in the S and P fifteen hundred. And then took the basket of the the large the, the companies that had the largest stocks. So actually, sorry, the largest stocks and how many owners they had relative to the average stock. So we know over the last several years, larger caps have gotten fairly crowded, especially growth names. And this is a way to quantify it. You almost have a two to one ratio of uh, the largest names in the S and P 1500 uh, in terms of their ownership relative to the average stock. So, you know, the, the names aren't gonna surprise you, things like Apple, things like Microsoft, you know, all the big cap names, they're excessively owned today, which is just to say that everyone owns them, which is not bearish or bullish on its own, but it does, you know, we certainly look at that over time, it's, it's, it's more extreme than it was in the tech bubble uh, and has just really become extreme in the last mm. three or four years. So the number of institutional owners of uh, the largest 100 stocks relative to the average number of holders in just any S&P 500 stocks. So uh, this is a function of uh, uh, apparently under ownership, maybe on the other side as well, where there's just companies that uh, don't have a lot of uh, uh, variation and diverse kind of holders in them. I mean, can you kind of divide that numerator by the denominator and see which one is skewing it more powerfully? It sounds like what you're saying is the numerator here is skewing it to the upside. Yeah, I mean, if, you, if, I, if I showed you what a plot looked like of uh, that data cross-sectionally and look at how many owners own those largest stocks, once you get beyond 50, you wouldn't even see any data because those first 50 are so extreme, even the first 10. Huh. Uh, so it basically just shows you everyone kind of agrees on a number of different stocks that they should have in their portfolio um, nowadays. But you know, we all, we all know the incremental dollar comes from where you can get ahead of the crowd. And so that's uh, clearly playing out this year where larger cap stocks uh, have fallen behind. Uh, but again, I would say it's not because they're crowded, they're falling behind but more because the economic backdrop is improving and that's not a backdrop where investors are gonna seek those attributes that those crowded stocks have today. So they should become less crowded, uh, cyclically speaking, as the global economy and certainly the US economy uh, key continues to reopen and reaccelerate. Uh, but it does certainly show the secular backdrop that uh, we've have we've had very narrow markets for about a decade since the global financial crisis, and this is one result. It's a pretty powerful chart because the way you've st you've structured the metric here is um, kind of runs a little bit against something that I've heard over the last call it three four months, where we see strategists who survey their clients and they ask them questions. Well. What do you think you're most compelled about, or what do you see as the most crowded trade? I mean, there's a lot of good surveys out there. There's also uh, futures positioning reports that people use to try and 
kind of triangulate where, say, hedge funds are betting. And one of the things I've heard over the last six months is that the favoritism by investors has pivoted as the value rotation has taken place. But um, this doesn't really seem to suggest that so much. I mean, this seems to suggest that still the pain trade would be for those uh, big tech companies where the crowding is. That's the pain trade if those go down still. Is that fair? Uh, yeah, it kind of it does suggest that investors have decided to own and hold those larger names, and for the time being, cyclically rent some of these values, small cap, higher beta names, as you know things incrementally look better. But um, we haven't seen investors move out, and you know maybe they shouldn't, of some of these larger cap, growthier names that have great fundamentals. May not be the best place to be in 2021 but you know, are still the core holdings of many, many investors, mm. institutional. And, yeah, and you can really see how it's taken off over the past year as there clearly were fewer compelling choices on the fundamental side for some of the non-tech companies. Okay, so um, the conclusion then for me, Mike, is it seems that if we have resumed rollover in the NASDAQ, if this week-long push was uh, you know, a head fake within a potential new downtrend, I mean, obviously that would be a, a painful thing overall because that's still where most people are at the end of the day. Yeah, yeah, and you know a lot okay. of people are bearish on those larger, growthier stocks because of valuation, because of things like this and crowdedness. And, and you know, ultimately, uh, and uh, we don't think it's really again due to those factors. Yes, you know, all sure. that's equal. You don't you want cheaper stocks. You want stocks where you're the first one to jump in before the crowd. But you know, these stocks go up and down for uh, a myriad of reasons. And in particular today, you know, why did people own those stocks in 2019 and 2020? Because interest rates were going down, because the global economy was slowing. Then we had the COVID shutdowns, where a lot of um, service companies, manufacturing companies, you know, had to stall out. Whereas these secular growers were able to still remain open or you know continue to grow revenue. Mm. Uh, that's not the story in 2021, and unlikely to be one in 2022 either. Mm. So here's uh, secular backdrop. Yeah. Uh, here's the chart, just to, because uh, I think this is a good corollary to that. Obviously, where we you're, you're charting the value versus growth relationship, both in terms of price and earnings, uh, where you've got growth as the denominator here. So as the line goes down, growth outperformance both for price and earnings. But it looks like you're expecting a meaningful uptick in terms of earnings, which then should drive price. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, we, you know, we've, while we've been in a secular backdrop where growth has outperformed, obviously you can see that line peaks in 2006 or seven, and it's been trending lower. There's obviously been uh, value cycles, 2009, 2013, 2016, uh, and 2021, where cyclically we go from uh, a slower economy to something much better. And that should last as value earnings uh, now, because they're economically sensitive compared to secular growers, are going to outpace those growers um, and certainly those companies that um, benefited so much from the shutdowns, the lockdowns, uh, at least on a rate of change basis. Uh, that value line in both earnings and uh, performance should continue to go higher. And you know, the first couple months of the year, a lot of the value trade was really on the back of higher interest rates and, invest and investors taking on a lot of speculation. And so within the value universe, it was really driven by high beta and mm -hmm. low quality companies, which you know are often cheap for a good reason. In the last month, uh, despite you know uh, some people looking at the market and saying, "Well, growth has caught a bid and defense has caught a bid," 
underneath the hood of value, values continue to work, but the types of value stocks mm. where the reasons value has continued to work has changed. It's no longer uh, been a so-called junk rally. It's companies that have getting incrementally better earnings revisions uh, are those that have been outperforming. And that's true within value, within growth, within large cap, within mm -hmm. small cap. Uh, it, and that's really the name of the game this year. As PEs and macro stabilizes, those companies that don't need the rising tide that has lifted all boats over the last year to continue uh, performing, those that can generate earnings you know, without a massive macro tailwind, good companies, mm. uh, are those that are going to be able to uh, outperform uh, this, the remainder of this year. Super interesting point in, in detail here as we go into earnings uh, next week uh, to start to see how that plays into it. Uh, maybe we can get some of these uh, more quality, high quality value trades you're saying to continue to perform even if we don't have this massive you know, yield uh, tailwind to banks, et cetera. So I think that's a, a very interesting uh, and important one. Uh, Michael, before we go, just to kind of bring up a few of the companies, we just looked at your guys' latest scan. And uh, what I see is more companies on the do not touch list than it seems companies on the aggressively buy list. Maybe I'm wrong, but just kind of from the front page highlights of uh, your guys' analysis, it seems like there's a long list of companies to avoid. Yeah, we're both uh, focused on providing our clients with uh, stocks that fit the attributes we think are gonna do well in, in this market and macro environment. And those are generally stocks that, again, have that earnings momentum. The last few years were very uh, volatile periods for the macro backdrop, and that's a period where PEs get whipped around. So it's not always earnings that drive stocks. You know, when interest rates decline like they did last year, that lifted all these growth stocks for reasons beyond just their earnings power. Uh, and now that we think that story has stabilized and the economy gets better, those that have continued earnings momentum, uh, operating leverage, uh, ideally if you can find those in a combination of stocks that are cheap, that's really the best of uh, all, all those different factors. So that's, that's what we would be looking into. And it's not a call on size, style, or sectors. Those types of attributes uh, are likely to work and are working across and within all of those, uh, those groups. Things that we would avoid would be uh, some of the companies that have done well over the last 12 months because we've seen such an improvement in the macro backdrop and have done well on the back of credit spreads uh, collapsing, which are now near record lows, financial conditions becoming really easy, which are on some measures also at record lows. Um, at this point, it's hard to see the macro backdrop, at least the way investors look at it on a very forward-looking basis, get much better, which is to say things like PMIs uh, and other surveys of housing sentiment, they're all hitting record highs today. Where do you go from there? You know, there's not much more upside. So the low quality, junkier names or companies that aren't going to be able to generate those earnings going forward without that rising macro tide, uh, at least as great as it's been, are the names you want to start to avoid now. And history uh, shows that that's what always happens um, about after a year of uh, years into a market recovery, mm. because the economy stabilizes and investors are now able to differentiate on a fundamental basis uh, versus the last 12 months, which have been very macro driven.